Well, good morning. As we finish up our series stand today, we're actually going to backtrack a little bit in the book of Daniel, which we've been studying for five weeks now. And I don't know about you, but I continue to be amazed and even a little pleasantly surprised at what we can learn from these Old Testament stories. Not to sell the Old Testament short, but so often we focus on the New Testament, the life of Jesus, on the early church, and and there's so much there that we can learn from absolutely. But we should never disregard these Old Testament stories because they just, they have so much to teach us. In fact, I believe that so much that as we shift next week into a new series, it will once again be an Old Testament-based series, and I'm really excited about that, but, but I've absolutely loved this series. And so we're going to backtrack to Daniel chapter 3, the, the one story from Daniel that we knew was coming that we haven't tackled yet, and we're going to talk about standing firm in the fire. And we're going to spend a lot of time in the scripture today, and it's in your bulletin in the insert. It's also going to be on the screen. We're going to spend a lot of time actually reading from the book of Daniel. So if you want to follow along that way or pull it out on your phone, or if you've got your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to flip to Daniel 3. And so as we talk about standing firm in the fire, really the fire could be a lot of things. Because the truth is today, some of us are going through a difficult time. Based on the amount of people who walk through the doors this morning at New Life Christian Church, I am sure... And we have quite a few people who could say right now, I'm going through a difficult time. And that difficult time could be a number of things. If that's you today, you know what yours is. We all go through them, we all deal with them. Even a lot of us, when we become, even though a lot of us, when we become followers of Jesus, we kind of get this idea in our head that maybe we shouldn't have to deal with that anymore. Maybe suffering should be a little lessened for us, that hard, hard times shouldn't affect us as much. The truth is, I couldn't say any better than the pastor who said it this way. He said, you're either coming out of a hard time, you're in the middle of a hard time, or you're going into a hard time. And some people would say today, you know what, I'm probably doing all three of those things at once. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I've told you all this so that you may have peace In me, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And we absolutely should take heart because Jesus has overcome the world, absolutely. But in this moment, if you're facing a fire, it is hard to stay focused on the fact that Jesus overcame the world. Because what's in front of you right now is the fire, whatever trial you're going through, whatever struggle it is. So I don't know what it could be for you right now. It might be a financial fire or a health-related fire a relational fire, a career, a job fire, a parenting fire. In the face of whatever fire, what happens is we often can't seem to figure out why things aren't getting better. And we might even be doing everything that we know that we should do. And yet the struggle, the fire, continues. And so if that's you today, the question you're then asking is, what do I do in the midst of that fire? Like, I understand that Jesus overcame the world, and that's wonderful. That gives me hope for the future, but what about now while I'm facing the fire? And by chance, if it's not you today, if you're not facing a fire today, the truth is, based on what Jesus said there in John chapter 16, you still need to ask and listen to what God's Word has to say about that question as well, because there's a chance, a good chance, that your next fire may not be very far away. The truth is, the only place in time that we won't have to worry about this stuff is heaven for eternity, and so until then, if we can glean some help, If we can get some guidance from God's Word, then I believe we'd be wasting an important opportunity if we ignored it. And so before we dive into our story in the book of Daniel, I want to share with you this encouragement from 1 Peter 1, verse 7. It says this, These trials 
will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And to me, that's a super encouraging verse. But again, it is hard to see it that way in the midst of the fire. But when our faith is strong through the fire, that speaks volumes to the world about where your hope is and who you truly rely on. So if we can, we need to see trials as a positive thing. In fact, if you walk away today with one thought, if you want to just listen to one thing and then shut me out for the rest of the time, this would be the thing to take away. Very simply stated, a faith that's tested is a faith that can be trusted. Faith that's tested is a faith that can be trusted. If your faith has never been tested, you have no idea how strong it is. You have no idea what it will stand up to. So so take that, slap it on a t-shirt, put it on a bumper sticker, print it on a wristband, whatever it takes to remember it. That's huge. And so in today's story, we're going to look at a faith that is tested in the lives of three teenage boys, most likely 14 or 15 years old, somewhere in that range, named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you were here as we started the series five weeks ago, you've you've heard those names before. If you grew up in the church, you've probably heard those names before. If you've ever watched VeggieTales, you've probably heard those names before. Week one, we talked about King Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king. And remember, evil, he's next level evil, who destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed their temple, and brought all the best and brightest young men from Jerusalem to Babylon and brought them into the king's service to to assimilate them to Babylonian culture and to place them into future leadership in Babylon. That was the goal, to bring them along so that they could be leaders. And mentioned along with Daniel, who we've spent so much time talking about, were these three young men. And at one point, Nebuchadnezzar, he really takes it to another level as far as crazy goes, and he decides to make a giant statue and tells everyone in the kingdom... You need to bow down whenever I say to bow down and worship this giant statue. It was gold, and it was huge. It was 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. I did a little research just so I could could make this a little more understandable for us. From the floor to the highest part of the ceiling here is 13 feet. About seven times that height was this gold statue, and 9 feet wide. This is a large... I don't even know what to call it anymore. It's more than just a statue. It most likely matched the size of the king's ego because that's the only reason that you would build a statue that big. And so here's what he says at the dedication of the statue. Here's where he makes the requirement. In Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, it says this, So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, Zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now here's the thing, nobody likes to be threatened. And nobody likes to be forced to do something they don't want to do. But everyone in this situation is also very aware of just how evil King Nebuchadnezzar is. And that if he says he's going to throw someone in the furnace, he's going to throw someone in the furnace. Several weeks ago, I mentioned that drowning was high on my list of ways I do not want to go out. This ranks right up there. Okay, Understand that forced death is a cruel punishment anyway. 
especially considering the crime involved here. But this manner of execution is sadistic and even savage. To throw someone into a furnace. But if someone who will no doubt follow through makes a threat like this, most people will do what they're told and bow down, even if they don't mean it, just to stay alive. And so when the musical instruments played, the people bowed down. For the most part, everybody did. Except we read this in verse 8 and following. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. When they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, that decree also states that those who refuse to, must, to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about Daniel in the lion's den. And someone in that situation tattled on Daniel for not following the king's rules. And now again, here we read another story where we have some very willing tattletales. It's very childish stuff. They run to the king and they rat out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there's a part of me that has to wonder. The king brought all these strong, smart Jewish boys to Babylon with the goal of putting them into positions of leadership. And when they don't follow what the king says exactly, there's always somebody ready to tell, to rat them out. You see, I have to believe that some of the existing Babylonian leaders were jealous of the way that the king and kings to follow him seemed to to treat the Jewish boys, elevating them to, to leadership levels equal or even higher than some of the existing Babylonian leaders. If they're jealous of that, honestly, it would it would fall into human nature. And so they're ready to tattle. Anytime they do something wrong, as we saw with Daniel, they'll even set them up. That's what it takes. But the truth is, as messed up as it was that these boys were forced to be a part of Babylonian culture instead of their own in the first place, it also becomes through, clear through reading these stories that God had them right where he wanted them. And right where they were at this moment in history was not necessarily a good place. In fact, these guys are facing what's most definitely not going to be a good day for them. They know the punishment for what they're doing, and yet their faith is what helps them stand firm. And so today we want to talk about that faith and our faith and three qualities of faith that can help us on the bad days, in the struggling seasons, and when we're facing the fire. And these are in your your notes as well, but this is the first one. Faith obeys God instead of following man. Faith obeys God instead of following man. Everybody bowed when they were supposed to, except these boys. They didn't just go along with what was said, because it went against what their faith in God said they should do. Verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down. Worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we put our heads together this morning and made a list of the worst things that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could say to the king in this moment, very near the top of the list would be, We do not need to defend ourselves before you, king. 
It's almost like they're saying, we actually don't care what you think about it. Your opinion means nothing to us. It's kind of a dangerous thing to say to a crazy king. And while I'm not sure that's exactly what they meant by it, that they don't care what he thinks, that's kind of what they meant by it because they cared more about what God wanted from them than what the king wanted. So yeah, we actually don't care what you want us to do in this situation, king. We've made our decision. Remember, these are teenagers. These are 14 or 15-year-old boys staring down the king and openly disobeying his orders to his face. But again, faith obeys God instead of following man. There are no exceptions to that rule for these boys. They, they didn't have to pray about it. They didn't have to think about it. They didn't take time to fast before deciding what to do. They didn't have to explain their situation on Facebook and ask for a consensus of what they should do. They had one predetermined plan, and that was to stay faithful to God, to be obedient. And as we've looked through the book of Daniel, as we've read through these stories, the idea of predetermining what you're going to do and what you're not going to do shows up in the life of Daniel, and now it shows up again in these boys. So often we don't make predeterminations about what we will and won't do, about what lines we will and won't cross, about what's going to be important to us no matter what. And when we haven't made those predecisions, and temptations come, and challenges come, and the fire comes, we don't always respond the way that God would want us to respond. But we've seen from Daniel, and now from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that having some baseline predeterminations grounded in what God wants from us, can make all the difference in the world when the fire comes. They were ready for something like this. And their response was obedience. They didn't question it. They didn't hem and haw. They didn't wonder what to do. They did it. And here's the thing. They could have compromised. They could have, and we probably would have been willing to let them off the hook for that. They had options. They could have faked it. You can't tell me that every person that bowed down was actually worshiping this gold idol. They could bow just like everyone else and not mean it. Why would it matter? Who would know? The truth is, some of us have bowed our heads reverently during a prayer, during a church service, and had zero thoughts about God or even God-adjacent thoughts during that time of prayer. Nobody knows whether you're really praying or not. And I know it's not exactly the same thing, but faking it is something we as humans seem to be able to do pretty well. They could have faked it. They could have fully participated without fully participating, simply by bowing. And no one would have known, except they would have known and God would have known, and that mattered to them. It mattered more. They had other options, too. They they could have done what a lot of us have done once or twice or too many times to count. They could have bowed and worshipped just like they were told, knowing that tomorrow when they wake up feeling guilty, they could ask God for forgiveness. How many times do we do that? We do something and we wake up feeling guilty and we say, oh, well, God, forgive me. And we say, I'm not going to do that again. Do it again. Or they could have used the reasoning we talked about when Daniel was facing the lions then. If we're dead, who will remain to introduce these people to the one true God? We're, we're better alive for God than dead for God, so that's what would be best. We just need to go ahead and do it. But again, they didn't use these other options. They didn't make any excuses. They simply stayed true to the one true God. And they didn't bow. Honestly, this idea falls right in line with what Satan still tries to do to Jesus' followers today. I promise you, if you're truly trying to follow God, Satan will give you tons of opportunities in this world, even today, to compromise what you know to be true. He'll give you countless opportunities to bend, to waffle, to shift, even just for a moment, away from the plan God has for you. 
And once you've done it once, Satan has a little foothold. Something to use against you, something to remind you of, something that makes the next time not seem like such a big deal. And before you realize that you've compromised on something big, when you thought you were just compromising some small things, and you've strayed from God's path to you, it happens to all of us at some point. Saying that this is a slippery slope is not meant to be some sort of scare tactic. It's simply the truth. It's easy to convince ourselves that compromising what you know is right just this once won't hurt, and we justify it and we say there's a good reason for it, but it's rarely just this once. The truth is, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had said, you know, we're just going to fake it, those instruments were going to play again, and everybody was going to be watching them again. So it wasn't going to be just once. It was going to be an ongoing thing. The idea that, that faith obeys God instead of following man, it's not just a nice saying, it's not a pipe dream that we can never you know, actually follow through on. It's a commitment that those of us who truly believe that God's our Father, that Jesus died for our sins and that we need to live for Him, it's a commitment that we need to make. Because if we make that decision to obey God and not follow man, we will be much more ready when the fire comes. And so that's the first one. The second one is this. Faith obeys in spite of what it sees. Now this, this actually gets a little bit tougher. Faith obeys in spite of what it sees. Verse 17, this is the boy's response. They say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. You know, if, if faith obeys in spite of what it sees, let, let's talk about what the boys were seeing. The boys were seeing fire. They were seeing a blazing furnace. They were seeing almost certain death. Here's my assumption. My assumption is this wasn't the first time the blazing furnace had been used as a means of execution. And so what they see is a pretty solid track record of the furnace as a place where people don't come back from. And yet despite all of that being what they see, they continue to obey and believe that God will come through. Now I want to make a point of clarification here. I think that there's a difference between believing that God can do something in my life and believing that he will do something in my life. We say that God can do anything, and we believe that, but when it comes to our own lives, I think we often pray prayers that are more about us hoping he will, because we believe it's possible for him, instead of believing that he actually will, because we know he can. Now, in the end, what God decides to do, that's not for me to know, nor is it for me to judge, because I'm not God. His ways are higher. But I believe there's a difference between a prayer of belief and a prayer of faith. The difference between I believe he can and I believe he will. The kinds of prayers that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prayed were prayers of faith. Because throughout their lives, they, they saw one thing. And what they saw didn't seem much like it should be God's plan. They saw themselves not in Israel, but in Babylon. They saw themselves not serving directly God, but serving the Babylonian government. They saw themselves apart from their families, and that's not what they thought it was going to be. And in spite of that, they stayed faithful. And they did what God asked in spite of what they saw. And that's something we need to strive for, because so often, if if we're not happy with what we see, we lose faith. Listen, there's nothing wrong with doubt. I would suggest that a certain amount of doubt is even healthy, but sometimes I think we doubt too quickly. I think sometimes we give up on our prayers too quickly. I think sometimes we give up on God too quickly. But think about all these boys saw. 
All of it so counter to their belief system. All of it so counter their, to their culture because it wasn't their culture anymore. So counter to what they probably would have envisioned a life serving their God would look like. And yet, throughout everything they'd been through and everything they'd seen, they stayed faithful. I'm nowhere near that in my life, but I'll tell you what, I want that. I want that to be said about me someday. I don't want to doubt so quickly. I don't want to give up on what I'm praying for so quickly. Sometimes we pray once, and when something doesn't happen, we stop. Because I really do believe that God can do anything. We need to start believing that He will. And here's the thing, and this is just like Daniel. When you look at him in the lion's den, these boys didn't wait to see what God would do. They simply believed He would come through. They were obedient not because of what he had already done in the situation, not because of some benchmark that he needed to meet in their life, but because he was the one true God, they believed that he would. And the question that naturally comes up at this point in the story, and for us, if we really are going to believe, in spite of what we see, the question that comes up is this, what if God doesn't do what we have faith he can and will do? I'm not sure I could ask a heavier question right this moment. Yes, I believe he can, and yes, I believe he will, but what if he doesn't? We don't like to tackle that question. Because what if you believe God will heal someone and they they pass away? What if you believe that God can and will bring your child who years ago walked away from him back into a relationship with him and instead they fall farther into the world? What if you believe that God can and will heal your marriage and your spouse gives up anyway? Countless people down through the years have walked away from God because of stuff like this. So this question is eternally important. What if He doesn't? You may not like the answer. I really don't either. Because it doesn't mean we get the human perspective happy ending every time. But it's the right answer, and that's number three. Faithful obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. Faithful obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. I don't mind the sound of that, but I'm not sure that I'm as willing to accept it in practice. You see, I like control. I want to make sure things turn out a certain way. But faithful obedience is our responsibility and the outcome is God. And so at some point, we have to let go. Living out the purpose that God has for us, following His guidance, that's our job. And honestly, that's where our job ends. What God does after that is is His job. Our job is to be obedient, to be faithful, and how it plays out is entirely up to Him. To a few of us, that's freeing. But to most of us, it's all sorts of scary. But the truth is this. In whose hands is the future of any situation worth being trusted? Mine or God's? Our hands will betray us over and over again. But the hands of God deserve to be trusted, not because of what He's done, but because of who He is. And I believe that's how these boys saw it. In fact, they they answered the question, what if He doesn't? In verse 18, they say this, but even if He doesn't, We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. 
Kind of like they're saying, listen, if he doesn't, we obviously won't be able to tell you this after the fact because we'll be dead. But we want you to know that that doesn't change our position. That if we die in a few minutes, that doesn't change the fact that we, we would never, will never, have never, will never, would never, ever, 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 ever serve your gods or worship the gold, worship the gold statue that you've set up. They answer that question, what if God doesn't? We trust God. Honestly, that's the response a lot of us wouldn't be able to muster up. To tell the king that they trust God to save them, but even if he doesn't, they'll never compromise, that they'll stay true. And because a lot of us know how the story turns out, the the boys are saved, we're like, well, yeah, of course that's their answer. But please remember with me, because this is so important, they had faith, not a guarantee. They had faith, not a guarantee. They had faith, not foreknowledge. They had faith, and that was all they needed to stay true to God. We need to get there. Things would be a lot different if we could get there. That's absolutely something that we need to strive for. Faith that doesn't depend on guarantees or foreknowledge. The truth is, if I have a guarantee, it doesn't take faith anyway. And here's the thing, we do have a little piece of foreknowledge, and this should push us on. We know that in the end, God wins because Jesus defeated death on the cross. And if we know that, why is our faith so weak sometimes? And yet here are these boys simply having faith in the one true God no matter what. And they stand up to the king. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Have you ever been that upset with somebody? That you could be described as your face being distorted with rage. Remember, he's evil. He's a little bit crazy. He's got a huge ego. Dude is hot right now. Like, he's mad. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. If the people throwing you in die, you're going to die. The king takes it up a notch here, in seven notches, in fact, and, and it kills the men who throw the boys in. That's always been one of the craziest parts of this to me. And here's the thing. He did that out of anger. They made him more mad than he already was, and so that's why he reacted that way. He fired up the fire even more. But do you know what he really did? What he really did was he made it even more clear that when the boys weren't killed, it had to have been God, because no one could be surviving this without supernatural intervention. When somebody else died from the same fire and they didn't, it made it very clear that someone or something intervened. And these boys had openly expressed their faith, so this was perfectly set up for God to get the glory. Verse 24, But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officials, officers, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Listen, I can't even grill burgers without smelling like smoke for like days. Or singeing hair off my arms, for that matter. They walked out of this fire, they, they, nothing burnt. They left their clothes on, nothing burned. Not a hair singed. You know what happens when you get hair too close to fire. No smoke smell, nothing. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. Now, I don't care how many times I hear this story or read this story. I still love this story. And this one falls into that category we talked about several weeks ago about stories that when we tell them to kids in Sunday school, we kind of have to clean them up a little bit to make sure they aren't scared. But I love this story, and here's what I think it means for us today. Some of us are facing a fire right now. And if we're not, we will be. And typically in the midst of a fire, what we want, what we ask of God or even beg for is for him to take the fire away from us or to take us out of the fire. But if you're patient and you listen and you pay attention, what you may come to realize is that it's in the midst of the fire that we're most aware that God is with us. There are four guys in there, not three, because God was with them. He sent someone to be with them. And if we faithfully obey what God has asked of us, we faithfully do what he's called us to do, we can turn over the results to him with confidence and let him go to work because that's the kind of faith we need to have in him. And if it turns out our way, great. And if it turns out how we don't see it happening, if it's not what we've really asked for, that's okay too. That's not a reason to compromise what we believe. It's not a reason to waver. We can't let that lessen our faith because God's ways are not our ways. And every answer he gives is not going to be the one that we want or expect or think that we need. And if we truly believe that his ways aren't our ways and his thoughts aren't our thoughts and his plan is higher than ours, then we have to respect it. Part of faith, true faith, is accepting that all the answers God gives aren't necessarily going to be the ones that we want. That's true faith. If, if, we, if we expect all the answers, that's conditional faith. We, we want true faith. Faith like these boys had. Crazy faith. As we finish the series, we've looked at how to stand. And, and really in every situation that we've talked about over these five weeks, we stand because God gives us the strength to stand. We stand because we have faith in, in that kind of a God. And ultimately, the best bottom line I can give you for the whole series believe it or not, comes from the mouth of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. You know, all those weeks ago, we talked about how crazy he was and what a bad dude he was. And yet we just read it. He said this about the God who makes it possible for us to stand. He said, there is no other God who can rescue like this. That's the God we need to put our faith in, and that's the God that makes it possible for us to stand, no matter what. Let's pray.
God, we so often try to do things on our own. We want to stand on our own strength. We want to move forward under our own power. But you, you truly are and, and want to be the strength in us, the one who helps us stand, the one who helps us stand firm in the fire, the one who is in our corner at all times. And God, for the times that we've taken that for granted, we're sorry. I pray we would know that you're always with us and not just realize it when we need you, not just call out when we, we need you, but we know that everything we are and all the potential we have is because of you. I pray that you'd use us in your kingdom to help more people to come to know you, the God who can help them stand. And we, we thank you for your word, for these stories from so long ago that we can still learn from. I pray that we would take these stories, these lessons, and we'd apply them to our lives. And God, as we move into a time of communion, I pray that you would help us to focus really on the, the most important part of the story, which is that you've already won. You sent Jesus to the cross and that he defeated death. And because of that, we have the hope of eternity. Help us to focus on that as we prepare for communion. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song. Um, and if, you, if you've been thinking about things throughout this series and, and, and there are decisions you need to make, maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, maybe you've never been baptized, and you've been thinking about that, man, I would love to talk to you about that this morning. And Larry's up here too. He'd love to talk to anybody about that as well. Or you know, if you if you strayed away, you feel like it's time to come back, and you've been thinking about that, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you've been hanging around for a while and you thought maybe becoming a, a member of the the congregation here would be something that would be be good, you know, I could I could serve God in a, a different way, be connected to the body of believers here. If that's something you've been thinking about, we'd love to talk to you about that as well. Or if you just need prayer, we would love to invite you to come forward as we sing this song. Stand with us, please. Thank you.